Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today, we're talking with Jen Hatmaker, who is an author, a speaker, and a mom to five. Jen's latest book, Of Mess and Moxie, Wrangling Delight Out of This Wild and Glorious Life, is a collection of stories from Jen's own life that encourages women to live in the moment, undaunted, no matter what the moments hold. Later in our program, we also talk with singer-songwriter Nicole Nordeman, whose song, Slow Down, and the accompanying music video touched millions of viewers everywhere with its theme of cherishing every moment we have in raising children. First up, here's Jen Hatmaker. I'm Jen Hatmaker, and I'm a mom of five. I'm wife to Brandon and church planner here in Austin, and I'm a writer. I've written, I'm not honestly even sure, 12 or 13 books and Bible studies, and I get to travel all over the place and speak and teach to women, and it's just a dream. So I'm the oldest of four kids. Um, My dad was in ministry from the time that I was three on, uh, and he's a very rogue pastor, incredibly rogue. He was in recreation Um, And so he ran all the family life centers that were attached to our churches. We were in Fort Worth when my dad went to seminary and we were in Little Rock, Arkansas, and we were in South Louisiana in in a little town called Homa. And every single one of those places had a really important impact on my life. Our home life was loud and funny and fun. Our our dad is the funniest person I know. And so um, he's passed on that gene to all of us. And I have two sisters underneath me and then the baby um, is a boy. And all of us, except for one sister, live now in Austin. You can kind of look backwards and connect dots to see sort of who God had created you to be even from the time you were four. Um, Was for me, and, and this may be obvious, but I just, loved books. I mean, I loved them like a weird little kid loves them. Um, it's funny to, to imagine now, because just my the way my adult life looks, but I was um, a pretty shy kid and and quiet, incredibly awkward. I mean, there's, I can't even, I wish I had a picture right now to post so you could see what I'm saying. I am not lying. So awkward. And so um, I just didn't have uh, a lot of social skills and I was nervous around um, other kids. So, I mean, I remember my mom saying crazy things to me like, I'll take your book away if you don't behave or um, give me your book and go do something else Um, or um, join the family and quit reading. And so books were my refuge and I loved them as long as I can, as long as I can recall. And I'm a rereader too. So I would have all my favorite books on my shelves and I would read them all a dozen times a piece plus. And I still do that actually. I think I probably started just emerging out of my weird reading hole uh, somewhere in middle school, somewhere in, of course, back then we called it junior high. And the most absurd thing happened to me in seventh grade. Um, I made the cheerleading squad and there were only like a few girls on it. Something about that, that just something about that vote of confidence it flipped a tiny little switch for me. Number one, all of a sudden you find yourself in front of large groups of people. And so that was new to me. And so I started developing some skills that had eluded me up until that point. Um, Also in seventh grade, I finally got contacts. 
In fact, I got them on the first day of seventh grade. And, and I, there's no adequate description to describe the dorky glasses I had been wearing since second grade. There's no words. Uh, they were absolutely disastrous. And my mom tells me now that she tried to get me to buy any other style, any other pair. Like, can we just try any thing that does not make you look like a 79 year old grandma. And apparently I just would not have it. So I had these huge plastic glasses. So I got contacts, which helped with the self-esteem department. I always had my dad in my ear, just believing in me and cheering me on and, and calling out whatever tiny little good thing he saw about me. And you know, you hear that long enough and, and over the course of enough years, and by golly, you just start believing it. You think, well, if my dad, you know, my dad thinks I'm awesome, um, maybe there's something there. And so I think slowly, I just sort of grew up a little bit and grew into the space that, um, that God started carving out for me. By the time I got to college, uh, a handful of things that sort of it locked into semi-place um, for me at that point. And it was that I loved, uh, I loved everything about words. So I knew that so something about writing, definitely reading, communication in general, words have just always had a lot of power for me. Um, and I had some amazing teachers in high school that helped me develop that. So I knew that there was going to be something around that that was going to be meaningful to me. And, uh, and then <clears throat> I didn't have it honed in yet, uh, but I knew teaching was going to be at least some element of it. Uh, so I, uh, consequently, I went to college and studied education. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to do with my life, but uh, I had a handful of clues. And so teaching was one of them. I'm obviously not still in the classroom, but I still teach. I'm still a teacher. I teach women um, and I lead. And so I, I was near my lane, but not exactly in it. I knew enough to sort of get close. Um, and so I went to college. I went to Oklahoma Baptist University and I met Brandon there my very first year. I think I met him September of my freshman year in college. And I mean, truly that was the end of that. Like we met, we immediately started dating. Boom. Brandon and I got married um, in December of my sophomore year in college and his senior year. So we were like literal she, I was a literal teenager. Um, I was 19 and he was 21 and we were children. And we just decided that it made perfect sense for us to get married at that juncture, which I, I mean, I have a 19 year old right now. Like when I think about that kid, I, I, he is a baby for crying out loud. It worked out. We've been married 23 years and we just sort of built this life together. And so, uh, you know, when I think about our history, mine and Brandon's, it is absolutely true that we just, we grew up together, um, in every sense of the words, what's precious about that. And there was an underbelly to that. As you can imagine, getting married that young, that immature, that poor, that much a college student. I mean, it was really, we struggled in a lot of ways those first few years. But, um, the upside of that is that, I mean, really and truly we built this life together and it is, it belongs to the both of us and, um, we developed together and we learned together. And I mean, I just cannot imagine a different life than the one I have. Brandon went straight into full-time ministry and we, um, have, we have served on church staffs ever since. And I went straight into the classroom. Um, and then I started having babies. It was just raining babies in our house. So I had 
just three in a row, all two years apart. And so I was in my 20s. I mean, I was 28 and I had three kids um, and they were four and under. It's funny because going into our marriage, um, Brandon was um, absolutely going to only have two kids. Um, I was positively going to have three and then we ended up with five. So I tell young adults always, just don't make plans. You don't know. It was in that season that I um, I left the classroom and I took the ridiculous leap into um, writing and, and teaching and speaking. And so that portion of my career was uh, developing and growing and our kids were bigger and all in school. And um, part of our spiritual story just involved a season where, uh, honestly, for, for just lack of a better way to put it, God just threw the brakes on the direction we were going and, and spun us in a 180. We were so busy um, serving saved people um, and blessing blessed people that we didn't have room for any of those other categories or ideas. And so we were, for the first time, learning what it meant um, to act justly and to love mercy. Um, we were understanding for the first time what the plight of the poor and um, sort of our commitment to our neighbor and um, what is our responsibility to our brothers and sisters around the globe who are suffering. And so just like that, I mean, just like that, we looked at each other and said, this is not something we can turn from. There's there's no way. And in fact, our, our daughter, Sydney, was a was a key component in that early on. Um, and she was probably nine at the time. And I was tucking her in one night and she said, Mom, I just don't understand why we are not talking about adoption. She said, you know, we are, we're, we work with the homeless and we're caring for a lot of single moms here in Austin. And we're, we sponsor a bunch of kids. And we did at that point, I think we sponsored 10 kids around the world. And she said, you know, here we have, we have room and we have a lot of love to share and we have a good family. And I just, why aren't we talking about adoption? And I was like, what in the world, you know, like shut her mouth, God. But you know, she was right. And, and it got to the point where Brandon and I said, um, any reason that we are still saying no to this is either tied to fear um, or selfishness. And we have we since adopted our two youngest children. They're both Ethiopian. Um, and we brought them here to um, America when they were five and eight. And now they are 11 and they're 13, Ben and Remy. And they are such a joy. They are such an important and special and invaluable and irreplaceable part of our family that I, I cannot imagine anything else. I, in fact, that at this point, I don't even, I can't even remember who's adopted. Just, you know, everybody's just all in one pot. Um, and, and so adoption changed us forever. Um, and it, I, it's changed our kids forever. And, um, it is a hard, but a beautiful story that I just can't, I, I can't imagine um, anything but this path that God laid in front of us. It's funny, when, when you sort of um, turn your eyes toward justice um, in, in every way, um, economically, um, racially, um, spiritually, uh, all the places where injustice 
um, is causing such pain and suffering in our world, it's just like a domino effect. I mean, you tip that first domino and I'm telling you, you have absolutely no control how many are going to tip past it. And so, um, many, many, many dominoes fell, including, uh, starting a new church and lots of other things. Um, and legacy collective was another, um, obvious domino in the rung. Brandon and I just said, we have been given this incredible influence um, that we couldn't have ever imagined or dreamed of um, or even really created. I mean, it's just, it's so bonkers. And this is our one little life. And how do we steward this influence to the gr- for the greatest good? And so the Legacy Collective is a nonprofit donor advice fund that we developed out of that question. And so we, in partnership with over a thousand just ordinary but wonderful people um, all around the United States. So everybody combines little bits of money a month and we pool it into this giant um, pile and we fund. We fund organizations. We fund initiatives. um, We fund activists all around the world and also all around the United States. Um, And so we're supporting the people that are already on the ground. Um, They don't need us to reinvent it. And there's so many amazing people already doing the work that is necessary in this world. And so it's the most wonderful, exciting thing we've ever been a part of. We have given away well over a million dollars. We're only like a year and a half old. And um, it is such a joy um, to come alongside all these warriors doing amazing work in the world um, and enabling them to do more. Jen found herself on a new path and a new adventure, one that would take her to unexpected places. All the while, she was diligent to seek what God would have for her and her family as she continued to teach, study scripture, and share her thoughts and life lessons with women. Jen talks about the moment her world opened up in yet another way she never dreamed of, and the experiences that led her to the latest book of Mess and Moxie, wrangling delight out of this wild and glorious life. I'm a student by nature. I'm just, I'm a learner and I'm a reader and I'm a note taker. And those, that's just sort of a natural part of the way I was sort of made. Um, and so all those apply so beautifully to the study of scripture. In fact, my very first book was called A Modern Girl's Guide to Bible Study, in which I sort of parlayed the, the various ways that I have learned to study the Bible um, just to ordinary people, um, because the Bible's not supposed to be a mystery, and it's not supposed to be reserved only for the elite, or only for the seminary students, you know, or only for the preachers. You know, it's here for us all, and um, that has been so incredibly true in my life. My first books came out in 2006, Um, and so right at a real crucial um, moment in my ministry was when I first read Jesus Calling, and of course, for me, uh, part of my role, part of my task is um, as as much as I can, to whatever degree that I can do it well, is to make faith and Jesus and the Bible accessible and meaningful. And so Jesus Calling really laid some pavement for me, um, showing how to use ordinary language, right? And and ideas that made sense to modern hearers and, and taking it all down out of some academic elite stratosphere and wrestling it down to the ground where we all actually live. Jesus Calling has done something really important in our generation. Um, something that since other writers and creators and teachers have, um, emulated and expanded. But when, when Jesus calling first came out, um, and it made, uh, the stories and the characters, um, and the history of scripture 
so incredibly accessible. And so um, to this day, and I'm 40, almost 43 years old, I still find the Bible absolutely fascinating. So incredibly interesting, very, very relevant, fresh and new and wonderful. It will, I'm pretty sure I could study it 12 hours a day for the rest of my life and I will never mine its depths. I split my time between really serious and sober and important um, work and ideas and topics and conversations. And also, I love humor. I love to be funny. I love funny people. I love funny ideas. I love funny shows. And so um, I'd written just this silly humor piece on being a very terrible um, mom at the end of the school year and caught a whole lot of traction and it landed me on the Today Show. And out of that, we got an email from an executive at HGTV who said, she was a reader of mine. And she said, I've been watching, I've been following, we've been laughing, and we think we can develop a show around your family if you're interested. So of course, the most, the silliest thing you ever heard in your life, we just died. Um, And so we were in fact, at that very time listing our house for sale because uh, our two littles were with us and we had outpaced the house we were in. And so we bought an old fixer upper four minutes up the street in 1908 farmhouse and we renovated it on a show on HTV that was called My Big Family Renovation and it was so fun and so ridiculous and so unexpected and we still look back on that season as just what a wonderful gift. Sometimes life just hands you things you do not expect and we have learned to just keep our yes permanently on the table. You know, just this maybe not the thing we planned, uh, but but something important or precious or exciting or new is gonna come out of it. And we have found that to be true over and over and over in our adult lives. And so at this point, what I know is that uh, parts of life are fantastically beautiful. I mean, beyond what we could ever imagine or hope for or envision. And parts of life are harder than words can ever say. Um, You know, we encounter suffering and loss, stuff we couldn't have dreamed up or expected or even prepared for. Suffering does not mean you're doing life wrong. It just means you're a human being. Um, It means that you are gonna encounter the exact sorts of things that every human has encountered for all of time. Um, And so um, there's nothing that we should romanticize about the beautiful parts of life or that we should demonize about the hard parts of life. That's, that's where sort of the title comes in of mess and moxie. We have both. We all have mess, and I know that word has gotten a lot of play, um, but whatever word you wanna fill in the blank there, um, struggle, pain, disappointment, um, boredom, failure, fill it in, mess, we all have it. Um, some of it's our own fault. Um, some of it just comes with being a human being on planet Earth. Um, some of it is because people die and get sick. We, we will all experience mess, but this is what I know for sure about women. Women and their capacity to overcome, to, to be resilient, to rise back up, to stand back up, um, to walk forward is stunning. And that's where I found that old fashioned word moxie come into play. There will be some readers who think, I'm all mess and zero moxie right now. And there's gonna be other readers who think I'm, I'm on the top of the mountain. 
I'm in a full moxie season and everything is working and all cylinders are firing. So for the woman who feels like 90-10 mess right now, um, I will say that there was a there was an essay in the book where um, I wrote about my family for the last two years. Um, and some of it's private, and um, but some of it I disclosed. And, and I wrote a sentence that that was so true at the time. And it was that during that season, I wondered if I would ever laugh again. I really did. I thought um, some of these precious things that matter to me so much are ruined. They're destroyed. Um, people near me have been incredibly hurt, and I didn't know it. Um, there's been harm under my ranks. And I, everything felt so broken. It felt like it was dissolving in my fingertips and that I may never, ever be glad again. And so to the woman who feels like that today, I, I want to tell you, first of all, I'm your sister. Um, I'm not, I'm not a stranger to that kind of pain. We have been instilled with enough moxie, um, through our faith, um, through Jesus, through each other, um, through just our own capacity for strength. Um, to keep going, um, to sing a new song yet again, um, to take the lessons that hardships are going to provide us, learn from them, and move forward in strength. And so the book has a lot of that in it. It has a lot of our own mess, because as you know, I tell stories, and I tell my worst stories, so you'll feel better about yourself. Um, And I also talk about uh, a lot of my own suffering and struggle in this book, more than I ever have, um, and that of our families. And, And yet... Um, I hope to tell you this is what I learned in it. This is what God taught me through it. Um, This is why we're still laughing. Um, This is why we're still singing. This is why we're still standing. Find out more about Jen Hatmaker and her book of Mess and Moxie, Wrangling Delight Out of This Wild and Glorious Life at her website, jenhatmaker.com. And be sure to listen to her podcast, For the Love with Jen Hatmaker, also available at her site and on iTunes. We'll return with more of the Jesus Calling podcast with our next guest, singer-songwriter Nicole Nordeman, after this brief message from Audible. As a special offering to you, the listeners of the Jesus Calling podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Find your favorite Sarah Young titles, including Jesus Calling and Jesus Always, in an audiobook version and get it for free by trying audible.com. Check out a small sample of the Jesus Calling audiobook featured at the end of this podcast. To download an entire free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling for your full free audiobook. Now, on to our interview with Nicole Nordeman. Singer-songwriter Nicole Nordeman is a top contemporary Christian artist, winning nine Dove Awards and selling over one million records during her career. In 2015, she wrote a song called Slow Down to commemorate her son's graduation from the fifth grade. An emotional song about slowing down and staying in the moment with your kids, the accompanying video has been watched nearly eight million times and has inspired a new book from Nicole called Slow Down, Embracing the Everyday Moments of Motherhood. Nicole talks about her early life and music career and the moment where she had to make a brave choice to live more honestly and vulnerably. I am Nicole Nordeman, and I am an artist, a songwriter, a mother, a speaker, and an author. 
my dad was um, teaching at the Air Force Academy there before he got out of the military. And uh, my mom was a teacher at my high school. Um, she was always very involved in music, in, in church and teaching choirs and all of the musicals. And so eventually she was the music teacher at my school. So I was just always really um, involved in music growing up. Music was like a second language spoken in our house. My mom was always playing, always rehearsing. I was always sitting in the back of the church waiting for someone to finish practicing. And so it just got in me, I think. And um, I did all the traditional stuff. I did the the piano lessons that I hated, that I was forced to continue. And, you know, was in all the choirs and the ensembles. And um, I don't know, I think probably around my senior year in high school, I decided I was done with lessons and I wanted to just really try to see if I could maybe create and write something by myself. And that is really when I sort of caught the songwriting bug, I'd say. My parents growing up when I was little, they they loved singer-songwriters. I grew up with James Taylor and Carole King and uh, Stevie Wonder, just people who could hold your attention for three and a half minutes. I went to the University of San Diego on a music scholarship, not because I wanted to major in music, but just because it financed my um, my education. I was a part of a little um, a co-ed ensemble that was, they were sort of musical ambassadors. We would travel all over the state and sort of recruit people to come to USD and be a part of their fledgling music de department. And um, so somewhere in there, I just would find myself in these little writing rooms in the music building late at night, all by myself, and just really trying to craft a song without any real training or um, mentoring or any of that. No one ever heard them. They were terrible. But I think that's when I really started to sort of just mess around with it. And I still, even then, didn't think that I wanted to do anything with it in real life. I thought, oh, this is just, this is fun. This is sort of my own private little hobby. It's like journaling. No one's ever going to read this. I went back home to Colorado, finished my degree there uh, in psychology, and then I just spent a couple years waiting tables and trying to figure out what in the world I was supposed to do with my life. Then I moved back out to LA with a girlfriend, and we both got jobs at restaurants there, and that's where I entered a GMA songwriting contest. Somebody sent me a flyer in the mail and said, you should go to this thing. It looks like it's for Christian songwriters, and maybe you could like make some friends in Los Angeles. So I did, not knowing really what I was getting into, and um, it ended up being this songwriting contest that I won and met John Mays, who at that point was head of Star Song, and just he decided to start kind of developing me as an artist. And then eventually he said, why don't you come to Nashville and let's do this, and I signed a record deal. So that's that's what got me to Nashville. I think honestly, looking back, of course, I wouldn't have been able to articulate this at the time, but... Because this was never a dream that I chased, you know, people my whole life would say, you, you really, I think you have a gift for this. Like you really should explore this. And I would, I'm, I'm just right brained enough that I, that felt like kind of an irresponsible future to me. <laughs> so I'm hearing my dad going, you know, that's, that's nice and all you're, you are very talented, but what's the backup plan? You know, where's the 401k situation? Like all that. And so I had just enough of that in me that being an artist or being a songwriter just felt like something that sort of those dreamy artistic type of people do. And that wasn't me. And I definitely did not have any um, 
desire to be in front of people. In fact, I begged John, the guy who signed me, I begged him just to sign me to a publishing deal. I just want to write for other people. And he had to really convince me that I should be the one singing these songs. And so it really just became this slow acceptance of what God was calling me to do rather than like a dream that I'd been chasing for years. Interestingly enough, I had much, a much more easier time writing about vulnerability and being um, sort of laid bare in music than I did in my own personal life. Like I could say it in a song, but even in my own relationships, my friendships, uh, my marriage at the time was so just walls, walls up everywhere. Like that's always been a challenge for me to, to be as honest as a person as I am an artist when things were sort of at the height of um, success creatively for me and artistically, I got to a place where I I couldn't maintain um, the Nicole Nordeman persona and the artist and the career, even if a, a lot of that stuff was very real. It just, with things falling apart at home, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And so I, I think it was like, the morning or two after I took home a bunch of Dove Awards, I had coffee with my manager and I said, I need to stop. You know, I had a brand new baby and I just, I said, I really, I need to take this hat off entirely, not slow down a little bit and put the brakes on, but just stop. I, I can't do this one more day. And so that's what I did. Um, I'm sure to the dismay of a lot of people who'd worked hard to get me to a certain place, but Peter York, who uh, was and still is the president of my label, looked at me and said, "If if we do not give you our blessing to go and try and fix your home and fix your marriage and and give your attention all of your attention to that, then we can't call ourselves a Christian label. So go with our blessing, and when you're ready to make music, if that ever is the case again, we will be here ready to make music with you again." So. Um, Somewhere in all of that, I still, I just kind of went dark. I didn't, I was done. I stopped doing shows. I stopped recording. I was working kind of behind the scenes on some stuff that allowed me to just be anonymous and stay in my sweats and be with my kids. But somewhere in there, I just realized, you know, when things finally fell apart and and my marriage did end, I thought, I'm so tired of trying to pretend to the world like everything's fine. I just, it was just exhaustion. It wasn't even a decision like, and now I will be vulnerable and tell everyone my pain. I'm too tired for this. I just need just to, whoever's going to be with me and love me is going to, and whoever's going to judge or be critical or whatever, they won't, they'll, you know, they'll be done and that's fine. I was really okay with however that fell and was shocked, shocked at the kind of grace and love that I was met with. I didn't even know what was ahead of me musically or if there was anything. And I, I, I wanted so much to come back. I had so much to say uh, musically and, and lyrically. And I felt like I had a lot, there were a lot of people who shared a story like mine that, um, that would be ready to hear about grace and about relief and about acceptance and about um, vulnerability. But I didn't know really if there, who, who would be out there, if there'd be two people or 200. So I'm just, um, it's pretty remarkable to me that the more open I am about my life, the more I find people are open about theirs. I think 
Because I'd spent the last several years after sh- after shows and after concerts hearing from women who had been down a similar path, who had had broken marriages and relationships, who were single moms, I just felt like I sort of owed it to them to be truthful about um, the experience and not try to shine it up and not try to, you know, again, do that sort of Christian-y thing that we do with our stories where everything has a God ending and everything has a you know, a Bible verse that sums it all up. Like, I just, I felt like God is in this because God is in me and God is in our family. And so I don't need to be so, um, I don't want it to feel disingenuous at all by, by making it something it's not supposed to be. Having been on the other side of divorce and having felt God's, um, just God's protection and and deep love through that and 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 people's acceptance of me and people's love you know I just thought I had I had been embraced so warmly after what felt like such a colossal disaster and an, and a failure that I was embarrassed about um, that I thought there's no reason to go to go back to pretending to be someone that I'm not so it was a pretty easy next step to write about motherhood from a place of genuine like, you know, not having it all together, not having any of it together. Like that was, that was actually pretty easy because I had already decided to, to be truthful in my life at that point. I just thought, I'm just going to write about my own experiences. And if there are little nuggets in there that are helpful, then let's pull those out if they exist. But I'm just going to write about the good and the bad and everything in between. I'm so happy with the way it turned out, and I had um, just a handful of dear friends and, and peers who contributed essays as well about their own um, insights or failures or you know everything in between. It's been just, it's been so sweet to to get to get that input from other moms that I really respect. I hope it's a book that is given as a gift to expecting moms um, or to to moms who've recently adopted or just people who are kind of at the beginning of this journey. And I remember so well, there's such an onslaught of information and marketing and so much of it is ridiculous, but you don't know that at the time. And so I just spent hours in books and magazines and on websites. And um, that was sort of before the dawning of the mommy blog, but I would have absolutely been obsessed with all of the things. And I, I just, I feel like, um, I feel like what I want moms to take away from this book, certainly new moms, is that there there's just no right way. There's no manual. There's no your kid is the only one in the universe that is that is unique to him or herself and to your family. And so you can put the books down at some point and turn off your computer because there you're not going to find the answers or the solution to whatever your issue is. Um, and I think uh, more than that, even with moms who are a little bit later in life and down the road with with um, older kids or teenagers or even adult children, like I think one of the hardest lessons that I ever have to keep learning as a mom is just to continually let go. It's just to hold these children with open hands and to realize that as much as I obsessed about um, – all the baby stuff, like what do I, the organic food versus non-organic or vaccinations versus, you know, like all that stuff that just like was so huge. There's, there, there are those issues at every stage. That's true of my 13 year old now. Like there are things that just feel enormous and they are enormous, but I'm learning to hold loosely 
learning to just say, um, I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer. And the more you say that to moms around you, the stronger you are together in terms of really sharing and encouraging each other. The more that you can get past that facade of, well, something that's really awesome in our home is blah, blah, blah. Like just getting over that and just getting real with women and other moms, I think is makes me such a stronger mom myself because it's, it's, again, it's that return to honesty and vulnerability. Um, I really hope that that is what, what moms take away when they read these collection of just messy real life essays. They just feel permission to just be themselves entirely as a mom. Nicole is still learning to slow down and embrace each moment with her children and inspiring other women to do the same. She's released a new record as well entitled Every Mile Mattered, a reflective look at her life's path to becoming the woman and Christ follower she is today. Nicole shares how Jesus Calling has helped her on that path, and she shares how the new music she's writing and performing is meaningful to her. I remember my mom sent me my first copy. She sent it to me in the mail and said, this will change your prayer life. And it really did. I'm not, I'm not a... I'm not a quiet time person really. So I don't have a devotional book that I'm going through and I have my 15 minutes set apart every morning. Um, I wish I, I wish I was that person, but I'm not. So that book really became, um, something that I would open and read when I, when I was ready to find time to pray and to pray through those entries that, um, Sarah writes. And I'm sure people have said this forever, but it is just remarkable how spot on they are with what, whatever you're going through that day or whatever um, you're facing or whatever you're stressed out about. Sometimes those injuries were like, oh my gosh, this is really written for me today on this day. Um, and that, that really just helped, I think, helped me to come to the Lord in prayer in a much more honest posture. It's just been a beautiful tool in my life spiritually. And then years later, um, Jesus Calling for Kids was such a beautiful way to begin to have those little conversations with Charlie when he was, boy, he was probably four or five when we first cracked that book open. And it was it was all over again. I just fell in love with um, the way it's written and the spirit in which it's it's written. So beautiful. It is no small miracle to me that I'm still getting to make music. What an absolute luxury and privilege to still be having something to say musically and for people still wanting to hear me say it like I just am I'm so deeply humbled to even be having a new record really there's a song on the record called dear me dear me this is a letter to the girl I used to be dear me there are some things that you should know it just sort of chronicles all of the all of the ways in which I've grown and and um, fallen down and gotten back up and all of the new things that God's given me to say out of that journey and from all of those miles. I think that my understanding of what the table of Jesus looks like has changed radically. Everybody gets a seat. I don't care who you are or where you came from or what your story is. Um, the great myth is that Christians created the invite list and we didn't. Um, Jesus did, and that includes every single person on the planet if they're willing to, to accept the invitation to sit down. To find out more about Nicole's new record, Every Mile Mattered, and about her new book, Slow Down, Embracing the Everyday Moments of Motherhood, 
please visit her website at NicoleNordeman.com. Join us next week on the Jesus Calling Podcast when we speak with John Cooper, the lead singer and bassist from the Christian rock band Skillet, and Jamie Blaine, the author of the book Mercy Never Sleeps. Here's an excerpt of our interview with John Cooper. Sometimes as Christians, we're a bit afraid to be that open with God. And, and there was a sense in, in my church life at the time that I couldn't tell somebody how bad it was going because then it made it seem like I wasn't being a good Christian or I had no faith. Uh, and there was a little bit of a, hey, just smile. God loves you kind of thing. And and so I write a lot of songs and, and I tell a lot of people that uh, it's okay to feel like that. And uh it's okay to, to tell God that you're, he already knows you feel that way. It's not like you're, it's not like you're keeping a secret from him. He, actually, he already knows how you feel. Today's featured passage comes from the January 9th entry of the Jesus Calling audiobook. I am with you and for you. When you decide on a course of action that is in line with my will, nothing in heaven or on earth can stop you. You may encounter many obstacles as you move toward your goal, but don't be discouraged. Never give up. With my help, you can overcome any obstacle. Do not expect any easy path as you journey hand in hand with me, but do remember that I, your very present helper, am omnipotent. Much, much stress results from your wanting to make things happen before their times have come. One of the main ways I assert my sovereignty is in the timing of events. If you want to stay close to me and do things my way, ask me to show you the path forward moment by moment. Instead of dashing headlong toward your goal, let me set the pace, slow down, and enjoy the journey in my presence. Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.